This is OTR-FM, part of the IOM Radio Network. Welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live streaming interview series, where leading new thought teachers, speakers, and authors share the intimate stories behind the 10 best spiritual books that inspired them the most on their spiritual journey. From well-known classics to hidden gems you might never have heard of, the No BS Spiritual Book Club saves you time and money by sharing reliable recommendations from those who've walked the path before you. The No BS Spiritual Book Club, the only No BS guide to the best spiritual books to inspire your own journey of self-discovery. Here's your host, founder of the No BS Spiritual Book Club, Sandy Sedgebeer. Hello and welcome. Before we meet this week's guest, I just want to take a moment to share a really inspiring book for anybody who struggles with making important decisions. It's called The Necktie and the Jaguar, and it's by a retired clinical psychologist, Jungian analyst and shamanic practitioner Carl Greer. In addition to revealing how he tapped into the wisdom and the power of unseen worlds for guidance and inspiration, um, Carl's fascinating memoir offers some valuable keys and questions that inspire the kind of thinking that guides you effortlessly on your own path to transformation. So if you have problems making decisions, procrastinating, check it out for yourself at carlgreer.com. And now joining me today to share the stories behind the 10 books that influenced her the most on her life journey is Sharma Viola who's dedicated 33 years to consciously living and teaching spiritual growth, art, and esoteric traditions. A citizen of and outreach ambassador for the Dam and Her community in Italy, Sharma's a highly gifted spiritual teacher, an author, and a tarot reader, who's trained with many great teachers and masters, including... Casca Fayette, I hope I pronounced that correctly, a fantastic channel being who impressed her with his teachings on the distorted ways in which we attempt to find and give love, or what passes for it. Um, Lazarus, a spiritual being channeled by Jack Purcell, the well-known author and teacher Shakti Gawain, founders of the voice dialogue method Howe and Sidra Stone, Byron Katie, and of course Falco and I'm never sure how to pronounce his name, but I'll say Tarasako, founder of Damanhur. Is that correct, Sharma? Tarasako, Falco Tarasako. Tarasako. Yeah, I wish I could get the Italian accent. It's so beautiful, um, but it doesn't come easy to me. Anyway, welcome. We're happy you could join us today. I'm delighted to be here. So you were raised in an orphanage and you only had access to school books or those that were read to you by nuns who were overseeing uh, tasks such as embroidery, etc. So you didn't get a chance to read any of the books that you wanted to read until you were 17. No fairy tales for me. No, no nothing what you would say that children grow up with, no. So what was it like for you to suddenly be let loose you know, in bookstores and be able to pick whatever you wanted to read? 
Well, I was pretty lost because I would had no idea. In fact, one of the first books I read shocked me that I still I still remember how shocking it was. It was a, a book about um, the concentration camps and how women were treated there, um, the area where girls were used by the soldiers. I, I was in shock. I, it was just like terrifying. So I didn't know anything, anything. I came out, I was like a, a baby. Although I was 17 years old, I really didn't know a thing about the world. And so I had to discover little by little, um, by trial and error. So it was a very religious upbringing up to that point. Yes, yes. Yeah. So what turned on your light? What woke you up to something bigger than a constrained religion? Actually, it was my desire to be free. Uh, having been in an orphanage for 13 years, when I left at 17, uh, freedom was the greatest value that I could dream of. And I jumped into it uh, as uh, fully as I could. Um, so reading wasn't immediately something that uh, uh, interested me. As exploring, experiencing, uh, trying, um, checking things out, because I didn't know anything. And... Um, and then I realized very soon that somehow the, the society, the, the context I found myself in um, wasn't satisfying. I was eager and yearning for something more. And that something more came uh, with the songs of Bob Dylan, with the, you know, the beatniks. And the culture. The, the culture. And I... It just felt like, that's freedom. That's what I want. And I decided to go to America. And so um, I was naive enough to understand that uh, I, I knew nothing, but I knew I wanted to go to America because that's where the culture was, uh, was um, happening. And um, I was able at 24 to take my cat and a couple of bags and, uh, and come to America. As a tourist, with a tourist visa, and nobody asked me, why do you have a cat with you uh, as a tourist? But there I was, I immediately threw my return ticket to the garbage, and I knew I was here to stay. And I had come to live a life of freedom. And so I went to California, and I lived in the Haight-Ashbury's, and I became a flower child, and uh, that was it. Uh, so and immigration didn't catch up with you and say, hey, you, you should have left. <laughs> <laughs> it caught up with me when then with my, um, what became my husband, um, we went to Mexico because after a few months I needed to renew my visa. I went to Mexico. But when I came back from Mexico three months later, I was pregnant enough that they said, what are you doing? You're thinking that you're a tourist. It will be fooled that you're a tourist. You're not going to come in as a tourist. You're going back to Italy. And, um, and so and forced us to get married. And uh, that's, that was it. But yeah. 
So um, the books that you have chosen, your 10 best list, um, yes. did you give them to me in the order they were read? No. No, they're so, just 10 books. Yeah. They, so in the beginning, in the 70s, when I started, it was set and it was, uh, it was initiation. It was... Uh, it okay, was, we, we will get to them then in the order that we have them published on the website um, and then you can talk about them. Uh, so the first one, as you just mentioned, is Initiation by Elizabeth H. And this has turned up a few times and um, this seems to be an autobiography that people really connect with. Um, so tell us... Tell us about the book and tell us what it was about this book that touched you so deeply. You have to remember that for me, every book was an adventure. Every book was a discovery and a step forward in my journey. And that was it. So every book gave me a little piece that um, I needed. What that book gave me Every book expanded my awareness, truly just did expansion of awareness. And this one was uh, about Egypt, about past lives, about remembering past lives. And then the shocking thing was uh, for her to have such self-confidence, to be so sure, self-assured, which was something I needed and yearned for myself, and then to recognize that that was a trap, that actually was an ego condition that she paid dearly uh, for. And uh, it, it, was, uh, it, it was shocking to, to feel like she remembered, she was there. There was so much power. And then there was the fall. That that was, um, um, you know, intriguing and uh, difficult. Mm, I read it more than once because uh, it was intriguing to explore a past life that she remembered so deeply and so profoundly, and then to feel the the warning of her just going for what she thought she could she could achieve and uh, she couldn't so anyway that was the big lesson for me wow beware of arrogance beware of uh, taking yourself for granted believing in everything that you think and what's this and, Got a little chime going off there. Uh, I don't know what that is. Okay. Is it perhaps um, a message coming in via Skype or something? Okay, let me, let me do this. Okay, let's see. okay this should be fine. Okay. So <laughs> you read this book many times. Did you find something new in it? each time or was it just a reminder it uh, it also brought me compassion uh, the more i read it the more i felt how easy it is for us to fall for ego 
ego um, conditions, ego, our, our ego can take us into a destructive path. And the compassion that I felt for her was, um, I didn't feel in the beginning. It was just like shocking and it was like trying to figure things out. While after reading it, it felt like, wow, wow, what a lesson, what a lesson. Having to come back and go through all that she had to go through when then she was uh, in Switzerland and the war and everything. Um, a lot of compassion and a lot of, a lot of uh, awe for her strength, for her courage to go through all of that. Yeah. Your second book is part love story, part utopian fantasy, part spiritual fable. Um, and it's a book, this is the first time it's ever turned up on anybody's list. And it is a book that I'm familiar with because a good friend of mine, I think she actually bought the rights to it or a member of her family did, um, mm -hmm. wanted to turn it into a movie. And she insisted that I read it. And um, it is, it is uh, just a lovely book. Um, it's called The Kin of Atta, Are Waiting for You uh, by Dorothy Bryant, and it was published in 1971. So yeah. tell us about this book. Okay, so that was one of the books of my 70s. And uh, it, um, it made me dream. It made me dream of a society where dreams were the guidance for the community. It made me dream of a very simple back-to-the-land island where people could feel protected and safe and allow their dreams to be guiding them into creating their reality. It was, uh, it was fantastic for me to feel this potential that dream have for us to guide us into peacefulness, resourcefulness, togetherness, collaboration, um, empowerment. I, I don't know, it was just so simple. And I found it very beautiful. I love the simplicity. I love how it touched me, you know, I, at the time, of course, we were all kind of living in communes, and communes had their gorgeousness and their pitfalls. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and so to read that book and to feel that these people, this, this little island community, had reached a level of ideal living together, it was, it was touching for me. It made me believe that it can happen. It made me believe that despite what I was seeing, that wasn't ideal yet because we were children just doing our best in learning and sometimes failing. Um, it made me feel like it can happen. It gave me hope. Truly, this was a book that gave me hope. Mm. Yeah, and it's a story about um, a desperate man who's running from a fast life of fame, fortune, drugs and crime. And he's led by these people, the kin of Atta, on a spiritual journey. Um, and as the blurb says, a spiritual journey that sooner or later we all must take. 
Mm. Yeah, very, very enjoyable book. Now, you've been a little bit um, naughty in that several of your choices are whole collections of books, so you've really got more than 10. Um, (laughs) But uh, I do understand it, and we will talk about them kind of more generally. The third one is the Seth material, which is Mm -hmm. the whole collection of writings dictated by Jane Roberts to her husband from late 1963 until her death in 1984. The Seth books. Tell us um, how Seth impacted you. Seth impacted me because at the time I was um, um, growing. I was taking the first steps into understanding more about myself and, and the reality surrounding me. And I was going into this, the Berkeley Psychic Institute. I was, um, I was studying there, learning about auras, how to read auras, etc. And I was uh, connected with people interested in psychic work. And so um, they were telling me about this book, the set book. And so I read my first uh, channel book. And of course, I could understand very little, because it's very different, difficult to read. The way said uh, speak is, I don't want to say convoluted, but for an Italian speaker that, um, you know, a, a beginner in the spiritual world, it was learning uh, bit by bit about creating your own reality. Um, uh, a whole a whole um, amazing variety of uh, values and uh, information that was very new. It was, it was totally new. And so it was fascinating. It was touching something inside uh, that uh, resonated deeply. Intellectually, it was a little bit of uh, stretching, luckily. Um, I would never be able to say whatever Seth was saying because um, I didn't have the vocabulary uh, to that degree. But it was so profound, the way it touched me and the way it um, made sense of uh, a reality that was finally beginning to surface for me and be what I was seeking. Was it the first channeled book you read? Truth be told, I don't know if I read um, uh, the Ra books uh, or Seth or any time. It was um, surely at the same in the same period. Mm, yeah, and you said that. Um, you um, found it very helpful, especially during the years that uh, you spent with Lazarus, an entity who was your teacher for many years. But they gave me a basis, um, you know, so said, gave me a basis that although I couldn't, as I say, couldn't even repeat what he was saying, um, gave me a basis to understand more my later teachers. Um, and so... That, that's why I would put something, a book like the set books, as paramount for me 
in my growth because um, it's interesting. What I'm trying to say is when I read, when I was reading books like those, it was as if I was expanding my awareness, but I wasn't really putting into practice. I wasn't really so much understanding them to a point of living them, but I was loving them first. First I was loving them, but then I, then I, I, I lived them later. But mm. I loved them. And, um, and I knew it was my truth. It was something that was the truth for me. But I needed to then grow more into how to apply them. Um, and that came later. Hmm. Book number four um, was written by a professor of philosophy, um, The Moon Under Her Feet. And it's uh, Clister or Kleister? I have no idea. Kinsler. And this was published in 19... 89 and it is quite a different story about mm -hmm. Mary Magdalene quite different than even those who think they've read a lot of books this one's quite different right and so now you understand why I put it there because it shocked me into into realizing there are so many different ways of seeing the same story and some are fascinating and they may or may not be true, but why not? Why believing one or the other? I, you know, okay, so there is a trend of believing a certain um, type of books of Mary Magdalene's story. This one is different. And I found it bold, I found it stimulating, I found it fascinating, I found it empowering, I found that I was cheering her on, and I was like, I was kind of laughing and saying, oh my God, yeah, oh, I love it. You know, it, it was, I, I totally appreciated someone telling such a story. Quite shocking too. Quite shocking, quite shocking. Yeah. yeah. We won't, we won't give it away. Um, no, we won't give it away. No. It, you know, was it, it was uh, because, well, what comes after is The Mists of Avalon. And after having read The Mists of Avalon and having felt all that feminine empowerment, all that feminine feminism and all that awakening of the feminine and all of that, that one there... I could read the, the moon under your feet. I could read it with a smile on my face and really um, enjoy it very much um, and, and feel like, why not? Maybe this is, why not? This could be just as true as the others that are more accepted. But yeah. yes, so part of my journey that the book, The Moon Under Your Feet and then The Mists of Avalon um, provided for me was uh, a reawakening of my feminine energy, of uh, an awareness of my feminine power, which had been squashed and been totally uh, under the rug. And, um, and so it was, they were inspirational for that, to really make me re realize that there is a power of the feminine that is courageous, that is bold, that is... Uh, attractive, it's fascinating, it's uh, 
I don't know. I don't even know the words, but such strength. And yeah. 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 Much of which has been dumped, dumbed down over the centuries. Yes, um, I smiled when I saw your description of the mists of Avalon. You said, okay, I admit it. I was one of the many who fell head over heels for this book. Um, and I was too, you know. I mean, this book was a um, just a joy for me and an eye-opener in many ways. And I think there are many, many people, I've met several, who really did resonate with that. They know that story yeah. somewhere within their cells there is yeah. a knowing i mean the truth be told is the first and only time i wrote to the author just saying to her how much that book touched me how much that book provoked me transformed me um, um uh, excited me it, it, it was it was a powerful powerful book did you get a reply from her no 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 but, yeah. 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 I'm sure she got more than. Oh, just I'm the... sure she had lots, lots of yeah, lots of letters. Um, book number six. Um, it's actually uh, again. There's four books in this series. Um, it's the Atlantean Secrets by Samuel Sagan, and this particular one that you're talking about is Sleeper Awaken. But you also um, have said that, you know, the following three books, The Gods yes. Are Wise, Forever Love, White Eagle, and Return of the Flying Dragon. Right. All so, of them had an impact. I'm just curious. So you said the King of Arthur, nobody else said uh, brought it here as a book. And nobody has said this one either. Well, okay. Because this is, as I said to you, I have no idea who suggested or who gave me those books. I have no idea why those books came into my life, but they came into my life. And uh, I read them and I was totally taken because it was a journey. It was a journey of someone that is a total blob of a, of a sleep individual, just totally asleep. And through the four books, he becomes an amazing, amazing uh, master who saves all the knowledge of Atlantis for future generation by creating this archive in the, um, in the astral, let's say, and bringing all the knowledge there to be kept. So anyway, it, it was fascinating because um, it showed the light side of Atlantis as well as the dark side. The light side being that there were windmills creating fields of energy that allowed everyone to always be on this amazing level of connection with the divine and with the many, many gods and goddesses and angels. Everybody was at that level. But it was because of the field that was creating those energies. It wasn't because of their own growth. And then the destruction of Atlantis, the fields go hot. And, and then madness arises because nobody has, uh, has ever worked on themselves. They were living 
in, in La La Land uh, due to something not of their own. And then when they're left without it, it's disastrous. And so only a few initiates are able to then, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, it was, um, it showed the light side and the dark side, but what one could, where one could go from being completely asleep to an amazing power, but through such will and determination and, and, um, and love for others, you know, to save the knowledge that had been for thousands of years, kept in these amazing temples that were really temples where the gods resided and where the initiates were just there totally, you know, it was, it was totally fascinating book. So it was a saga, it was a, a, um, a journey, mostly of this one individual and his journey through through awareness and what he learns and how he grows into becoming the master that saves all the knowledge. Um, and so it could be a complete science fiction, but um, for me, it, 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 um, it brought back a lot of um, memories. Um, Atlantis is uh, it's a place that many of us uh, find fascinating because many of us had uh, lives there and we, most of us were part of the, were there at the destruction. And so many of the things that I read did um, affect me. It was ex an extreme, a, a, a book of extremes. The gods, the, where the, the gods lived and where you could reach and you could go and be with, and then um, the total um, dark side. And um, it's just, you know. The way you it, described it was, it was like reading Lord of the Rings and being taken into the magic of amazing adventures of light and yes. darkness fighting one another. In a reality where worlds intersect, human beings and angels communicate directly, seers contemplate the distant past and future of humanity, and initiates travel along the ladders of levels of reality. Well, okay, that's one for the list then. You want for, if you want to just be brought into total, a totally different reality, a reality. Mm actually was described as being a reality of this earth, of Atlantis, where the extremes touched each other unknowingly and then, and then knowingly. Fascinating. Yeah. 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 Okay, so book number seven, um, written by anthropologist Angeles Arian. Yes. Um, and it is the Tarot Handbook, published in 1987. Now, I know that you are um, a very accomplished tarot reader. Was this the first tarot book that you read? Yes. Um, it was the first tarot book that I seriously um, studied because she had a way of explaining the the mythology, the symbolism, um, 
the archetypes, the journey of the soul that each one of us and as a humanity, uh, we are all um, involved in through the tarot. It was so fascinating, so beautiful and so profound. Um, and I studied it um, seriously so as to become um, a tarot reader. And I read the Crowley deck, which is the one she uses for many years until I came to Damanum. And in Damanum, nobody knew the Crowley deck. And they were using a deck that I, that I didn't resonate with. So everybody used this one and I didn't resonate. Nobody understood mine. They didn't resonate with mine. So there I was stuck. And then one morning I wake up a year after I'm in Damanum, a year and a half. And I know that I have to create my own deck. And I have to create my own deck with the sacred symbols of the sacred language that we study here in Damanu, and to create my own divination deck. The difference between divination and tarot is that tarot is schematic. There is 22 major arcana, 56 minor arcana, that's it. You don't invent anything to the tarot. With divination, you can have as many cards as you want. You can, um, there are so many oracle decks um, that you can create and they are your own creativity. And so I asked Falco, who was the one who brought the sacred language to Damanu, if I could um, create a, a deck, a divination deck with the sacred language. He gave me permission, and not only gave me permission, he gave me permission to use his selfie paintings. He was a, a prolific painter. And so this tarot deck, which I have, I'll show you here, it's called Braltaloi, which in sacred language, uh, it means magical signs for divination, because it deals with the sacred symbols. The sacred symbols in and on the paintings of uh, Falco. And you, so there are 111 cards. And, um, and there's a booklet that teaches how to do it. And so it's, um, it's something that came to me in order for me to be able to read cards because I've, it's part of my talents, it's part of what I am meant to do. Uh, in order to also engage with people and support people in making their own decisions and their own choices. And for me to give up my Crowley deck was, was, was a sacrifice. And when this came, I was able to then read cards and I've been doing it ever since. For the past, I've been in Dhamma 21 years, so the past, 20, the past 18 or so years, that's what I've been doing. Mm. Um. Just so you know, uh, Sharma, your uh, video has frozen, uh, but we can still hear you. Uh, I'm sure it will sort itself out soon. Um, mm. Oh, there it is. It's just sorted itself out now. So you're back oh. again. Um, but we, you know, we didn't miss any of what you were saying. So let's move on to number eight, which again is a collection of books. It is the raw material. Um, and the three books of the law of one by Jim McCarty, Don Elkins, and Carla Ruckert. And you reckon that these are some of the most classic 
and important books of your evolutionary journey. Why? Because, um, because Ra, um, um, speaks to the heart, speaks to the heart. Ra, it feels to me such a powerful, powerful entity with an amazing patience and amazing love and an amazing humility and such a willingness to be there for you. Responding to the questions uh, of the questioner and giving as much information as he could. But the energy that he put out was so, so touching, so, so loving and, and so expansive. He gave so much information. I don't know, it really touched my heart. Mm -hmm. yeah. And especially with this idea of the one, the one um, creator um, that, and yeah, the, that we are one, the oneness, the service to others and the service to self, these basic, basic elements that started to really work in my life and uh, becoming cornerstones of uh, my journey. It was clear in service to self and service to others that uh, how simple it, it is. You always have a choice. You mm. always have a choice. So what are you doing? And uh, to see everyone as the one creator. Mm. Challenging, yeah. but profound, and to see yourself as one with the Creator. It's, so it was, um, it was a series that um, very, very touching. I, I found it that um, that spoke to the heart for me. Yeah, yeah. And for those who don't know it, the philosophy of the Law of One. Uh, describes the big questions of life, why, how, and where everything that exists comes from. And it uh, explores this premise in relation to many aspects of life, including philosophy, religion, spirituality, cosmology, anthropology, history, politics, biology, geology, uh, physics, and the paranormal. So, um, yes, many, many people love the VAR material. Yeah. So, number nine, single oh, book. Oh, I love, I love this. I love this box. Tell us this, what it is then. It's because these are books who make you love your shadow, because it makes you explore it. It makes you explore the darkness in you to a degree that you can realize, you can transform it. It's just energy. It's just energy. It's just like light or darkness, energy. It's just like you you paid attention. You how can you say you you put judgment on this one, and so you put it aside, and you didn't love it, didn't allow it, didn't explore it, didn't confront it, and so it's festering inside of you, and and so you polarize over here in the light. Uh, realizing that you have an amazing amount of power and energy waiting to be um, unlocked. 
but exactly, and it's there. And so these yeah. books, the pathwork, to me, they are the psychology of spirituality, the best um, books about um, understanding and not be afraid of that which we fear, the evil, uh, the, the dark, that which we for so long maybe have put under the rug and, um, and instead it is so much of our power. And so for me, um, this guide is um, somebody you know, that um, took the bull by the horns and uh, uh, said, okay, you guys, you want to grow, you can't do it until you take all of your unconscious, all that you have put under the rug, all of your childhood trauma, all of your childhood distorted beliefs, all of the uh, rage and anger and frustration and uh, fears that you have um, thought that you handled, and you just bring it up and you start dealing with it. And so it, it takes courage, but it guides you and... Um, makes me love, I love him, I love his work, I love, I love how um, he presents everything so clearly uh, and so that it all makes sense, it all makes yeah. sense enough so that you uh, can embrace it and uh, you start realizing light or darkness, it's all me, it's all here, it's all yeah. my own stuff that, yeah. yeah. This, this is not a single book, this is a series of books, The Pathwork of Self-Transformation uh, and also The Fear No Evil by Eva Pierakos. Eva Pierakos, uh, Austrian. Yeah. 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 Some of these channeling books are, are marvelous, magnificent, they're just like... Uh, Okay, so 10th on your list is a series oh. of three books, the three oh. books of the initiates, yeah. Dying to Learn, Reborn to Live, and The Seven Scarlet Doors by Falco. Falco, that's so cool. Yes. Okay, so, yes, so these are the three books of the initiates. In Damanur, we have a path of initiation. And, uh, and so Falco wrote these books, and they are um, the first two books, for example, Dying to Learn and, uh, and Reborn to Live, are destructuring you. They are books written by the master, not by Fal Falco, written by, um, in, in the book, this master is called Vaduspadam or, or Krishna. Um, and this master, speaks to the initiates and speaks to initiates like in each phrase is found. Each phrase is profound. It doesn't necessarily tie together. Um, it's, it doesn't have necessarily um, a connection. It can be one paragraph totally different from the next one and then the, the, it's may seem disconnected because they're like truths being spoken for your meditation and don't need to have a thread or a, a linear um, logic. 
So they are, they're wonderful. I'd, I'd love to read you one tiny, tiny bit. Just go ahead. I opened, uh, today I opened it and, and, and uh, I've heard God laugh and I've laughed with him. Without understanding, I have desired to be his laughter and I've been satisfied. I've wanted to be God and I've learned to laugh. I've descended into hell. I've been all the demons and a friend of theirs, if ever a demon can have friends. I have been a necklace and every pearl I was, was born from my oyster belly and mine was the neck that wore me. That, this is the kind of stuff, there's a whole book like this, just like, so like, things to meditate, not, it's not logic, it's like deep, profound, impactful words that make you think, and, um, and not only think, but make you feel, make you be, and as an initiate, you have to read them over and over again, because it speaks not to the mind. Mm. So they're described as um, little novellas, uh, and there does appear to be some kind of plot running yeah. through them. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. So you know that this, uh, in the first book, the monk uh, that we can call uh, Aura Krishna speaks to the initiates in all these ways, and um, these ways. And then at the end, this stops talking. So, yes, yes, it talks about our society. It talks about us, it talks about life. So it, it gives you truth to go by as if you were one of the initiates who were listening to him around the campfire. And the same with the next, the next, the next reborn to live. Um, again, it's Vadus um, Fadham that takes you somewhat on a labyrinthine journey where you kind of have this labyrinth of mirrors and things that reflect back to you things. So it's, it's somewhat making sense, but not, it's not so logical. Well, the, the last one, this one, yes. The Seven Scarlet Doors does have uh, a journey and is a journey of a group of uh, initiates uh, led by Vadusvadam upon a mountain that doesn't have a path and that is not existing yet. And you are going on to this journey that you have to reach seven scarlet doors, which are seven tests that you have to go through individually and collectively in order to then reach the possibility of creating a new world. So this one does, is the journey, is a journey of challenges, of what, of what tempts you on the journey. Um, what, what tempts you, what makes you stop the journey. At each, uh, at each step of the journey, there's less and less people because mm -hmm. some have, you know, 
So yes, this one, the seven scarlet doors uh, speak of our journey towards what we would all like to have, a whole new reality, a whole new world. New humans, yeah. Okay, well, because we have time, I am going to let you talk about your 11th book, which we did not publish because we only ever have 10. Um, but the 11th book uh, came up a couple of months back, um, and it is The Alien Interview by Lawrence Spencer. And some people think this is complete fiction, and no. others say it's not. So tell us why you like this book? Um, I don't know. I believed it. I believed what this, this entity uh, told us, which was the story of humanity. I love to listen to the story of humanity from a variety of different angles. So I appreciated this one angle as well as all the others. Ra tells the story of humanity. Um, Seth tells the stories of humanity. Uh, this aliens tells the story of humanity. Um, everybody, like many channel beings, the Syrians, the Pleiadians, all tell the story of humanity. And to me, those are fascinating viewpoint. In Damodar, we say truth is a, uh, a diamond of a thousand facets. So for me, to see the story of humanity from this facet and this facet and that facet and that facet, it's fascinating because it, they're all different angles from which to see it. Um, and the same is happening with the uh, Mary Magdalene story. I was always was frustrated that I read dozens of Mary Magdalene stories. They all are different. In this one, uh, she marries Jesus. In this one, she doesn't. In this one, has a child named Sarah. In this one, has a child named Anna. In this one, has no children at all because she never really there. It's just like, okay. And so I had to just say, okay. So there is really different facets, different stories. And uh, who knows? Uh, like, as long as I can be enriched by what I'm reading, um, it doesn't have to be the truth. Uh, the one. What is the truth? Nobody knows. Right, right. Yeah. So. yeah. yeah. And this particular book um, was actually supposed to be uh, the truth about humanity um, from an extraterrestrial who was found by US Army Air Force after a disastrous crash of their spaceship in the New Mexico desert. And the story was passed on to the nurse attending to the alien. And uh, she sent the files before her death to the author and he published them. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, when you look at our story, you know, we all have a story about ourselves, but actually there's multiple stories there and we just take bits from each of them to build Absolutely. You know, one version. I want to tell you one thing, uh, Sandy, about a book that I had forgotten to put on the list, which was really, really, really powerful back, back, back then. And it was... Stranger in a Strange Land. Stranger in a Strange Land. Did anybody ever give it to you? I'm trying to think. The author? Remind me of the author. I, I don't remember it. You don't this know. was 
the very, 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 very first books I read. A Robertson, okay. Um, so, Stranger in a Strange Land was a fantastic new book for me. The story of a, a man raised by Martians who comes to uh, uh, Earth. Yes, we have had it before. And, and who is totally fascinated by, uh, like the nurse who gives him the water for him, like this, the water is like nirvana for him to drink this water. And this was so sweet to show the innocence that we, that is part of our nature. And that if we come in, um, it was so pure and so innocent. And it was like, in a certain way, a Christ story, meaning here he comes, he's totally love, he's totally pure. And of course, there is a reality out there that he can't hardly even realize. And he is totally in love with the simple act of getting a glass of water from the nurse. Anyway, so Stranger in a Strange Land had a great impact on me. And it was a very spiritual book for me. What are you yeah. reading now? What am I reading now? I'll show you what I'm reading now. I'm reading uh, one of my very favorite people, Byron Katie. Oh, Byron Katie. Okay. A Thousand Moons for Joy. Yeah. I, I love this book. I already read it once. Um, I love it because she takes Rumi's little, little uh, poems of Rumi, little phrases from Rumi, and she adapts it to her own, her own um, condition, her own way of seeing life. And to me, Byron Katie is uh, one of the greatest in this, in this time. She's a true mystic. She has um, the feet on the ground, and she is clear, she's clean, she's um, simple in her, she, how she proposes things. She's basic, uh, love yourself, love reality, love what is, um, and you'll stop, you'll stop suffering. Uh, and so I love this because in connection with her, her husband, uh, Stephen Mitchell, who translates Rumi, they kind of weave this together. He is a Rumi lover and so proposes to her, this is what Rumi says, what do you say? And so she gives her version. It's super wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I love Byron Katie's work. So profound, so simple. And uh, my God, does it, does it work? It works. It and was. you trained with her, didn't you? I did. I went uh, to, the, uh, to the desert with her and trained um, to become a facilitator of the work. Wow, that was back then, you know, it was nine, no, 80s, 90s, late 80s, early 90s, I don't know, 80s. Um, she's clean, clear, she's just super. You also trained with Shakti Gawain, who became a great friend of yours. Yes, she was a friend of mine, since the 70s, when we both went to Cascafayette, she also was uh, someone who came to um, this fantastic teacher. And, um, and so we remained connected. And then, um, yeah, I went to live with her. 
and we lived in Hawaii together and we, I was her right hand for a long time. We traveled the world, we went to Australia, New Zealand, uh, Europe, uh, America. It was fun, it was wonderful. Yeah, uh, she loved voice dialogue, which is the work of Helen Siderstone. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And so that's all she wanted to pass on to others. So we would go into workshops on voice dialogue and I became skilled facilitator and I brought voice dialogue to Italy when I came to Italy. What um, attracted you to Demenhur and when did you go there? Okay, let me tell you the story because it's difficult for me to, to give it an answer because it's not a logical answer. I was teaching voice dialogue in Italy, in Bologna, uh, in many cities of Italy. And it was 1992, and I was in Bologna, I was doing a weekend course. And somebody during a break brought me a, a newspaper. And the newspaper said, found the community in Piedmont in Northern Italy who dug a temple inside a mountain in secret for 16 years, big headlines. So I read during the break, this big spread in the middle of the, of the newspaper, I read the whole thing and there was photographs. And I thought, wow, this is intriguing. I would love to go there. But through my years of teaching in Italy voice dialogue, I was never called to Piedmont. I went as far as Milan and then it was Florence and Rome and all the, uh, Bologna. And so I never came. So I went back to uh, live in Hawaii after, you know, after bringing voice dialogue to Italy. Now, now one of my staff has a school and everything. Um, so I went back to Hawaii and some California friends um, in 2001, um, no, some, some California friends said to, uh, to me, would you please give us a tour of Italy for two weeks and take us to places that, you know, we wouldn't be able to go by ourselves because you know all about it. So I created a marvelous tour for them for two weeks and I took them really fun places. And when I took them to the airport in, um, in Rome, I had time on my hands because I decided to stay a little longer. And I said, I could go to that community that nine years ago, uh, I was so intrigued about. So I called and booked two nights, took a train from Rome and went to Ivrea, where I was picked up and taken to a guest house in Damanur. And as soon as I came to Damanur, I knew this was going to be my new home. But it wasn't in anything or anyone really caught my attention. It wasn't, it wasn't really anything. It was a knowing, this is it, this is your new home, prepare yourself because this is where you're going to come and live. So I was there for two days and I said, okay, well, someday I might. And I went back to Hawaii. This was in June, June 2001, two days. I go to Hawaii and friends from California call me and say, we're going to Damanur in October for one month. Would you come and be our translator? We are going to pay your stay and your, uh, and your ticket. And I said, well, I was already there two days. It wasn't my plan to go back. But God, this is an offer I can't refuse. 
okay. So I went again in October. I was in Damar all through October. And I don't know what we did because hardly anybody ever comes for a month to Damar. It's, you know, it's unusual. And, uh, but I knew I had been called to come back. It was clear to me I had been called, you know, I was paid to come back for a month to make sure that I was coming back. And so, November 1st, I go back to Hawaii, pack my bags to come back and live to Damar, December 19, 2001. So, two days in June, a month in October, and I came to live in December 19. Why? It wasn't a logical thing. It was like, this is it, come and live here. And that's what happened. So, and tell me, what have you got from your Dam and Her experience? Probably a lot, but condense it down. One thing, in the beginning, my resistance to being back in Italy and to being in a community was making it very hard, very hard, until I realized I have something to heal about my orphanage years, living in community where it wasn't my choice. I'm now in community because of my choice. And uh, so I knew it was uh, that particular thing. Um, I was resisting the rules, the regulation because of my past. I, it was, so I, I had to go through my resistance, through my, my anger. Well, your shadow stuff. My, my shadow stuff. I was feeling so limited and so hemmed in. Um, and then, of course, that uh, dissolved, luckily. And um, so I'm enjoying living communally very much to the point that yesterday I realized that I am not going to travel anymore. I traveled for the past 12 years. I traveled the world teaching the manuring courses all over, all over the world. And yesterday I said, I'm through. I'm done. I'm, I don't want to. I love it here. I am in a happy island. I love my home. I love my rooms. I love my family. I love my garden. I love it here. I don't want to live. I'm, I'm happy. I do everything I want here. I am so content. I will not travel. And then today, I received a communication from the um, American consulate saying that as of November 8th, uh, anybody that is not vaccinated cannot uh, travel to the U.S. So I said, oh, okay, it was fine with me because I already decided I'm not traveling anymore. I'm, I'm here to stay. Well, good enough reason. Now, your name, um, Sharma Viola, um, that's not your real name, is it? No, no. no. And at Dam and Her, you take a name of a plant and a name of an animal. Yes. And why is that? Why is one? Because we want to play. We 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 want to have fun. We want to play for playfulness uh, because we enjoy the game of playing. And also seriously because we want to be representative of at least a, a species, a, a, a species of plant and a species of animals. We want to be responsible for them. We want to we 
be their stewards, their, their representative. And, and it really becomes that way. You totally uh, identify with that. So my name is... Did you get to choose it? I did. Not everybody does. Everybody gets to choose, but then in the game, uh, you have the possibility of not getting what you chose. And the people start throwing names at you that then if they like it, they start going for that one name. And then you are saying, oh, I wanted this one. Uh, there was, for example, a, a guy, he wanted a little bird's, uh, a bird's uh, name. I think it was Liu, some little bird's name. And people started throwing names at him. He ended up with the name Piranha. So big difference. As in Piranha Fish. Yes. So now his name is Piranha. And believe me, it totally changed his life. He is a very successful individual now. Well, before he was kind of like a nice guy. Nice guy. So tell us the meaning of Shama Bayoga. Yes. Shama is a Indonesian Malaysian bird that is kind of a cousin of the magpie uh, in terms of being that size with a long tail. But the magpie has a terrible sound and the shama has a melodious, melodious sound. If you're curious, then go to Google and say uh, Song of the Shama and you will hear it's beautiful sound. In Indonesia, they do competition among the shama birds and the winner of the competition can sell for $2,500 because they're, you know, they're prized for their song. And so because the shama bird was uh, uh, imported to Hawaii in uh, 1921 and is thriving there, when I lived in Hawaii, I was familiar with the shama and its song. And so to stay connected with the, with the islands, I chose that the bird, and um, I love it. And also, for me, it was meaningful because it, it said to me, sing your own song, sing your own song, because I was someone that was more like a wallflower and was shy of, uh, of showing up. And, uh, and so by taking the name Shama, and the Shama sings its song, and I learned to sing my own song. Good. And Viola? Violet. First of flower. all, it's a flower, like the violet flower. Mm. I was born in March, which is where the, the violets uh, are all over, in the, in the woods. And the flower, to me, the violet, it's such a humble, beautiful, humble flower which exudes such fragrance. And so that too, it tells me, stay humble, stay small, but keeps on exuding your energy and put out that fragrance that is your own particular one. So those are my choices. I was lucky enough to be able to both uh, get the ones I chose. Yeah. So um, 
You have, um, we have about five minutes left. I want to talk about three courses that you have coming up, online uh, Zoom courses. Um, one is starting um, on November the 13th, and that is called Self Love, and it is uh, a lesson from your self awareness to self realization series. Nice. Um, and you say everyone on a spiritual path yearns for self realization. It's the objective of any true seeker, but nevertheless, few people know how to reach that goal or even what self-realization really means. Um, the second event that you're doing uh, is one that um, I personally have experienced myself, and it's quite startling and quite original, and it's the ties that bind. And uh, on this particular um, course, what you are doing is helping people understand relationships in their life by looking at f four past life relationships with a particular person. And I have to say that um, I did it at a pivotal moment. Um, I won't go into details, but it, it just threw so much light for me on a relationship um, that I'd had, that it was just pretty astonishing. And if anyone's having challenges um, or wants to know, you know, if there have been past connections, this is one that I really, really do recommend it. Yeah, um, I can't say enough good things about it. And then in January, you're doing a, a life course based on Lazarus's teachings. Well, yes, um, it's actually named Lazarus. Lazarus. Yes. Okay, and uh, uh, it's called Explo um, exploring, experiencing, and expanding into love, because love to me is such a precious um, gift that we have that it becomes cliche as we are throwing it back and forth and all around, and everybody talks about it, and, and it's. It's kind of losing. Misunderstood. Misunderstood. And so we want to explore it. We want to experience it. We want to expand into it and really understanding what it is and seeing what blocks us, what misunderstandings are there that um, um, take us off the loving path that we are all on because our true nature is love. But we have covered it up with so many conditioning and negative um, imprints that uh, when we bring them up, we can reconnect with that loving nature and uh, and then live from that uh, loving nature that we really are. So where can people find out about these? Where can they sign up for them or get more information? To my website, shamaviola.com. Okay. It will be all there, the dates, the, the way to register www.shamaviola.com Okay. Sharma, thank you so much for adding your 10 best spiritual books to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's library of recommendations. Um, I've enjoyed our conversation and thank you've had a, a, a fascinating life. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful being here with you. You thank too, you Sharma. Thank, thank you. you. So you can see all the videos in this series on the video page at the nobsspiritualbookclub.com uh, where you can sign up to be the first to know who's coming up next. And while you're there, if you know that you have a book in you but don't know where to start, click on the Work With Me tab 
and find out how my experience helping others birth their books might help you birth yours. That brings us to the end of this week's show, which will be available as a podcast on all the podcast sites. It will also be posted as videos um, on several YouTube channels, including um, On Times TV and my own YouTube channel. And it will be uh, available on the No BS Spiritual Book Club. That's it for this week. I'll be back at the same time next week with another edition. And till then, it's goodbye from me.